Thanks for listening to the 242 Young Adults Podcast with Pastor Justin Corkum. Our prayer is that this message will be an encouragement to your life in Christ. All right, so here we are. We are starting our year. Um, for those that weren't here last week, I know it's February. You're like, what do you mean we're starting our year? You're like, you're a month behind, buddy. Um, for those that weren't here last, um, last week, we kind of just took a little bit of, of time just to kind of talk about vision for 2017. Uh, I had mentioned last week that uh, we had a, as leadership, we met together and, you know, we had a great plan for 2017. Um, it was great. And we, we planned it all out month by month. We had our services set and, um, and in the middle of our time of just prayer and fasting, I really felt the Lord kind of place a different vision uh, in my heart for this year. Um, and, and so we're really beginning a, a really a journey uh, together, to, and it's starting tonight. Um, and, and that journey is everything for the sake of one. This is what God really placed in my heart. I believe that this is the answer uh, to the revival that we've been seeking in especially our, our age bracket uh, the young adult generation, uh, I believe that this is the answer. I believe that God wants to use this life mission for each and every single one of us. And as we live this mission, we'd be blown away at what God is, is going to do if we could even just imagine it uh, right now. And it's funny, you know, we think about the, the number one, and in, in the video, it, it it asks the question, is, is one really that significant? Uh, I, think about, <laughs> I think about back in the day. You remember, remember back in the day when you would do anything for like a buck? Like if somebody would like dare you, like I'll give you a dollar if you just like jump off of the slide that's like 12 feet high and you'd be like, you're on. And you jump off and then you get that like weird, horrible feeling where like you land on your heels and it goes like all the way up like your body. And, you know, you broke your ankle, and it was great. But you got that dollar. But nowadays, you know, nobody will do anything for a buck. And uh, it, it relates even to kids, too. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I'd get a dollar uh, when I lost a tooth. And, you know, I'd, I'd like, put the, I'd put the tooth under my pillow. My dad would come by. You know, we knew we would get a, we would get, like, a, a buck, and that was like a huge deal. But like kids today, they're like, Dad, I lost my tooth. Like, can I have an iPad? Like, and you see like some crazy inflation. Like, that's nuts, man. I didn't get 500 bucks for a tooth before. That's crazy. But you see like, you know, $1 isn't what it used to be. You remember how much candy you could get for a buck? Now it's like, you can get a piece of gum. I look at even just going like internally, it was funny, I was, I was thinking about different things, you know, like a decision. Do, does one decision, does it really matter that much? And it made me think, I wonder how many, uh, how many decisions we actually make every single day. So I looked it up, and I found this quote, and I thought it was funny, so I'm going to read it. It said, according to multiple sources on the internet, that's what I found funny, um, but it, it says the average amount of remotely conscious decisions an adult makes each day equals about 35,000 conscious, 
conscious, uh, conscious rather, decisions. That's like not even going into the ones that we do subconsciously. Like all of my hand mov- movements, I'm not consciously making those decisions, except for the one that this one is conscious. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but when you think about all of all of the conscious, 35,000 conscious decisions you make each day, and you know, oftentimes, yeah, well, one decision, right? What, what is that? What does that really matter? Or, or maybe go even deeper. One, one thought. If there's 35,000 conscious, uh, I can't say that word, so I'm going to skip over it for the rest of the, the evening. Um, but decisions that you make intentionally, see how, I, see how I did that there? For every thought you think, uh, Huffington Post says that we think 50 to 70,000 thoughts uh, every single day. 50 to 70,000 thoughts. That's a lot of thinking. And when you look at one thought, one decision, sometimes we can write off maybe, you know, an excuse to say, yeah, it's just one decision. It's just one thought. What does it really matter? And then I thought about one person. One person. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but we've officially reached 7 billion people in the world. No longer 6 billion. I thought that was pretty interesting. None of you did, which was cool, but I mean, I did. 7 billion people. Um, and, <laughs> oh yeah, your pity just makes me sick. Um, but when you think about how many people that is, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but sometimes it's easy just to feel kind of lost. I mean, that's a lot of people. And oftentimes we can, we can think, can, really, can I really make a difference? I mean, I'm just, I'm just one person. Out of so many in the world, can, can one person really make a difference? And uh, I told, I was kind of used this guy as an example a couple times. My connect group's probably going to be like, all right, again, enough of this guy. But uh, I started the year off just reading through the book of Gen- Genesis and um, Joseph, man, like what a crazy story about one person. And, and this is how my brain works. I think about, okay, so, so this, this young kid has a dream and God brings him through slavery. He brings him, uh, you know, out of, out of slavery into prison. Well, that's great. What a great transition there. You're a slave, now you're a prisoner. But then brings him out of pr- prison into a leadership position in, in, the, in the nation of Egypt. Um, he was second in command. And it's because of this one guy that not only Egypt survived an incredible uh, famine that devastated the entire land, but nations surrounding survived because of it as well. His very own family survived because of just one person. Really, one person. And I think about how history and, and, and Scripture proves that wrong. That one person really can make a difference. And I guess my heart for this year, and not just this year really, not even just this series, but I think the heart of this ministry, of this young adult's ministry moving forward, what we are going to become as a ministry is this. Everything for the sake of one. That my heart is 
that as we continue to seek God, we begin to realize that God values every single person. God values every single person, and God wants to use you to reach that one each and every single day. Why? Because I believe that those ones that we are called to reach can change the world. I believe that each and every single one of you can change the world, can change this city, can change your family, can change your your workplace. I believe that God can do such incredible feats in us because what? It's never on our own strength. It's always on his. In our weakness, he is strong. So that's great. We can boast all the more in our weakness because we know that in our weakness, he can do more. We limit what God can do in our life. Because I believe that God wants to use you all, and I've said this over and over again, I sound like a resounding gong, but, but uh, you know, something that's really annoying, that's, that's what that means. <laughs> but I've said it over and over again, but I believe that God wants to start using you in the miraculous. God wants to start using you to, to speak into people's lives, to the Holy Spirit to, to use you in the giftings of the Spirit. Um, to not just be a person who sits in a chair in a church and that's about your extent in regards to your relationship with God. But it's something that's living, it's active, it's interactive. It goes outside of these four walls and it extends into the community, extends into the people that you live life with and to the people that come into your path in your life. So tonight uh, I want to talk about really just two foundational principles in living for the one. And uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. So if you guys want to take just a second and turn there. Luke chapter 15. Verse 1 and verse 2 give a little bit of background to just the context of what's going on. So we'll read that real quick. It says, uh, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. The religious people at the time, they had decided not to consort with sinners. Uh, and instead of, instead of placing themselves in proximity to people who needed hope, they did the opposite. They separated themselves from sinners. And I think what's interesting about this is the attitude behind it. I mean, they complained that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. There was, a, a, you know, there was something very special about a shared meal. Uh, it was a symbol of, of, of friendship, communion. And, and to have that type of association with a, with a sinner was something that they deemed I don't know, the best way to put it would just be bleh. right? 
Like, we're not going to go over there because over there is pretty messy. You know, the, the way that they live is, is kind of, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's dirty. You know, I don't want to get my hands dirty or mix myself up in any of that stuff. And you have this religious attitude that separates itself from the people that actually need healing, that need wholeness. And I, I've seen it, I've seen it in, the church, seen it in my own life. We like things clean. We like things organized. We like things predictable. And, uh, you know, I remember we were talking about presence last year and, and how when you put yourself in somebody's life, <laughs> it's not going to be clean. It's not going to be predictable. It's going to be really messy too. And that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to be present in people's lives. Jesus, in response to their complaining, uh, he gives three different parables. He tells three different stories about how we should respond to the lost. And, and what I'd like to do tonight is focus in on two of them. Um, and we'll return to the last one um, next service or maybe the service afterwards. Um, so two foundational principles in living for the one. The first is pursue the one that is lost. Pursue. If we read Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 3, it says, So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. God, we just, we truly desire for your will to be accomplished tonight. Lord, as you begin to, uh, I, I believe, sink within our hearts, uh, even just what was mentioned previously, that the work that you have been doing preparing our hearts, removing the, the rocks and the hardness from the soil of our heart, O oh God. And, and you're preparing our hearts uh, to be soft, to take in just what you desire to speak through the word tonight. And God, I pray that it would be seeds that, that are sown inwardly, God, that it would take root. And Father, that this would be something that begins to change how we live our life. God, that our lives would be focused on others. That our lives would be focused on giving everything for the sake of just one person. Lord, I pray you just speak through your word. Begin a work, O oh God, in this ministry. Father, we just pray even prosperity, that you would show favor God, that, that we would build your kingdom for your namesake, O oh God. 
And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When looking at this parable, I just want to speak about four things in regards to pursuing. You guys thought this is like a two-point message, but it's really like a seven-point message. That's how I work. So when we look at pursuing the one, pursuing the one that is lost, uh, the first thing that we must do is look. We've got to look. We've got to look for the one that's lost. Understanding just sort of the culture here, shepherding was super common. It was like a really common job there. It's like, like being a cashier. It's just a super common job. They were everywhere. A hundred sheep was, was mentioned. That was a very common size uh, for a flock. So Jesus is just kind of grabbing from very common, uh, everyday kind of knowledge. Uh, everybody would have known these types of things. Uh, what was also common knowledge was that every night, a shepherd would count his flock. He would take into account each and every single sheep that he had, and he would make sure that none of them had been lost. Why? Why are you counting every single sheep every single night? One, it was his responsibility. He was responsible for those sheep. Obviously, those sheep are valuable. They measured oftentimes their wealth by cattle and things, you know, possessions, material possessions that they had. And, you know, sheep were a part of that. So, yeah, they were valuable. It was his responsibility as the shepherd to make sure that none were lost. And it was also his desire. You know, when you look at Psalm 23, you see a very intimate picture of what it means to be a shepherd. Uh, and you see how God compares himself, and David kind of compares God to a shepherd. And you see how caring uh, a shepherd can be. There's a love in, in a shepherd's heart for, for a sheep. And we're going to really explore that a little bit further tonight. But basically, there was a responsibility and there was a desire. When we look at our own lives, Jesus gave us a responsibility. I just want to read briefly Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus gave us a responsibility. Uh, he came and told his disciples, this is at the end of Jesus' ministry before he ascended into heaven. Uh, and this is what is referred to as the Great Commission. This is the assignment that, that Jesus gave to his disciples. He told them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have a responsibility Jesus has given us the responsibility to go, to make 
disciples. What is that? That's reaching the one who does not know Jesus. Reaching the lost and it's bringing them to a point and teaching them how to obey the commands that he's given us. We have the responsibility. It's been given to us. But oftentimes I think the desire is where our hang-up is. Because we're kind of like a shepherd. We kind of eyeball the flock, if you know what I'm saying. Like, it's a lot of work to stop and count each. I'm just going to, yeah, that's about the same size flock I had at the beginning of the day. That's cool, yeah. Look at, we got a good, we got a good flock here, man. This is great. Yeah, it's a good flock. All right, cool. Good day. That's my shepherd voice right there. I don't know why. We just went south. <laughs> Veggie tails. All right. Hey. But, but hear me out here. I think that we are really, really quick to focus on our 99. And here's what I mean by that. The church, and I'm including us because we are the church here. We can take a look at who we got, who's, who's currently here among us, the 99 that are sitting in our midst. We can take a look at our church and say, oh, well, you know, what's the, what's the number one thing? You go to a, uh, you know, a conference or something, a bunch of pastors are there. Well, so how many, how many people are you running at your church? That's like the common question. How many, well, how many people you got? And, you know, they always say, you know, the Pentecostal people, they're like, yeah, well, you know, yeah, we've got about, uh, you know, about 300 people here. And, you know, and, uh, you know, the 600 people we have in our congregation are great. And the 12, 1,200 people that are coming out on every morning, we've got 1,500 people on Sunday. And it's just like a fish story, you know, they just kind of like stretch and stretch and stretch. Well, yeah, if you count our outreach ministries, man, we're running about 3,000 people at our church. When we're looking at the 99, it's kind of comfortable. It's not too hard. I like to shepherd the 99 because I can come in. If you are the shepherd, let's pretend. You're coming in on a Sunday morning. You're coming in on a Friday night, and you get to sit down and just... Hang out with the 99 sheep that are hanging right next to you. They're not going anywhere. They're sitting down in their pew. They're listening to a sermon. They're chewing on some grass. You get what I'm saying here? We're just sitting around in the same place, focusing in on the 99, but there's one out there. There's one out there that's lost. There's one out there that needs somebody to go after him, needs somebody to show some love because he's wandered off. He's gone into a place that he shouldn't. He's going down a path that he shouldn't. And is anybody going to leave the 99 and go grab that lost guy and bring him back? Because we get too comfortable in church. We get too comfortable sitting in a pew with the 99 righteous. And Jesus is saying that I get more excited over one lost sheep, one lost person who comes and repents and returns to God than I get excited over 99. 
we got to let that sink in. And if we're going to begin to live everything for the sake of one, we have to begin to start looking. And looking is going to take work. It's going to take you each and every day counting those 99, counting those 100, making sure that everybody is accounted for, making sure that you do not miss one that is lost. We have to look. Second thing, in, re- in regards to pursuing the one that's lost, we have to make sure that obstacles never keep us from pursuing. We can't let obstacles keep us from pursuing. So let me paint a picture for you now. The shepherd is counting his sheep. It's the evening, it's the end of the day. He's accounting for each and every one of of the sheep that he has. Oh no, one is lost. Great, it's nighttime. The shepherd's obstacle is the dark. And I could imagine, now let's get this get this straight all right he's not whipping out some like you know one million watt like spotlight and just like all right let me just scan the horizon here let's find my sheep got a really hick story probably shouldn't share it but you know i used to go out spotlighting deer with my dad in new jersey (laughs) yeah we're weird we didn't kill any of them though like that was that would have been illegal but but anyway I got a little bit of hick in me. Did I just did you hear it? It was my shepherd voice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, we're talking dark is basically what I'm saying here. The only light he would have had is is maybe the moon. You know, there wasn't going to be much if there was, you know, if there was no moon, it's it's pitch black. And, I, and this is what I do. I kind of picture things when I read a story. So I'm imagining him, and, and this is why it's so great to, to understand even just contextually and just different cultural things because you can, you, can, you can see a little bit more of a picture of what could be happening here. Knowing that it counts at night, and, and now he's, he's searching in the dark, I'm just imagining this guy like stubbing his toes on like big rocks and like, you know, screaming his head off like, you know, <laughs> ah, like, you know, in frustration, he's tripping, he's, you know, a, a snake comes out, and he, like, you know, gets, bi- I don't know, this is where my brain goes sometimes when I'm, like, I imagine this not being an easy thing to do, finding this sheep. I imagine this being a very inconvenient thing to do. It's the end of the day. Who wants to go out and find a lost sheep? But I don't see that in, in the shepherd. I see a, a tenacity. I see an unwillingness to allow an obstacle to keep him from finding the one that's lost. And, and let me tell you, if we begin to live this, if we begin to live every day, if we begin to open up every single day and pray the prayer, God, today help me give 
my life for one person. Help me do anything that I can for just one. God, I don't know who you're sending in my path today, but I pray that I would have the willingness to pursue through the obstacles that might come because I guarantee you they will come. Disrupted schedules, required time, inconvenience. You're gonna even have to open your wallet. There will be obstacles that, that will occur when you give your life to this purpose. But this purpose is not your purpose. This purpose isn't my purpose. This is God's purpose for your life. That you would go and make disciples of all nations. That you would go each and every day and pursue that one person. Pursue the one person that God's placing in your path. The enemy's going to try to do whatever he can to distract you from that focus. To take your focus off of kingdom building. The third thing. We've got to demonstrate care. We have to demonstrate care for the lost. You know, I think it's beautiful. Verse 5. When he found the sheep, says he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Let me give you a little bit of background on sheep. There's a little quote from uh, Clark's commentary. No creature strays more easily than a sheep. None is more heedless and none so incapable of finding its way back to the flock. When once gone astray, it will bleat for the flock and still run on in an opposite direction from the place where the flock is. This I have often noticed. I also read in 2006 in eastern Turkey, 400 sheep plunged to their death after... (laughs) Sorry, I can't even read this. I can't even read it without laughing. It's... It's terrible. <clears throat> I'm so sad. In, in 2006, and he <laughs> try it again. Try it again. <clears throat> Death. Uh, in 2006, in eastern Turkey, 400 sheep plunged to their death after one of the sheep tried to cross a 15-meter deep ravine, and the rest of the flock followed. It's terrible. I just imagine like one going off and then two and, and then it's just all start playing. It's terrible. Oh, all right. All right. All right. So why am I saying, why did I share that? Here's, here's the deal. Sheep are followers. Uh, sheep, sheep need somebody to lead them. And I guess my point is, like, they can be just annoying. Like, for me, I look at this situation, I see this sheep that just wanders off and just does its own thing. It's probably made a mess of itself. It's, it's, it's probably walked off of some 15-meter ravine. 
And I imagine the shepherd, and this is, I guess this is me. I put myself in his position, and I'd be complaining. I'm like, oh, I'm out here in the dark, and I'm getting this dumb sheep, and blah, blah, I'm going to fall a 15-meter ravine, and blah, blah, blah. And, and you can just imagine what that would be like and the frustration uh, of this one sheep that's just ruined your night. But that's not what I see in the shepherd. And, and this is the reason I say it. Because oftentimes when God places that one person that he desires for us to really impact and to reach out to and to show the love of Christ to, oftentimes it happens. And, and when we do it, we're doing it like, oh my gosh, no, I've got to do this. And we've got this like begrudging attitude about what we're doing and we're not doing it in compassion. We're not doing it in love. We're doing it because we have to and we're kicking and screaming. But I see a heart of care in this shepherd that literally this dumb sheep just like goes off and does its thing, but he receives it with joy. He joyfully picks it up and puts it on his shoulders. I love what the Cambridge Bible says. Um, it says there's no annoyance. The folly of the wanderer is swallowed up in love and joy at its recovery. Its, it's folly is swallowed up in love. The shepherd loved that sheep so much, it didn't care about what it went through. It didn't care about it straying off from the rest of the flock. He was just overjoyed that he found the one that was lost. I love just that picture of, of even the shepherd carrying it, right? Like, we've all been there. Like, we've had that, that moment of weakness, man. And that's what I love about Jesus is that he desires to find us in our weakness. You know, I can imagine the, the sheep probably was in some sort of weakness. They, some, some scholars think that it, you know, could have had a broken leg or something. And whatever the case, you see the affection that's shown to that sheep, to, to put it around his shoulders, to carry it home. And I think about how Christ carries us through, through those moments in our lives. Uh, moments of, of weakness. But I also see how God desires for us to be people who carry others, uh, to, to be like Christ, and, and to carry others through moments in their own lives when they need that encouragement. I think people need to see that we care. And he's called us to pursue the lost one, regardless of where they've wandered off to or the mess they've made, regardless of, of the fact that they might be dirty, or broken, hopeless, hurting. God's called us to care for that one, to be his hand extended to that one. Last thing in this parable we see in, in pursuing the one that's lost is that we rejoice when the lost are found. Verse 6 and 7, 
When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I think the question that I asked myself was, do I rejoice over the things that God's heart rejoices for? You know, we can get really excited uh, about, you know, different things. You know, you can get excited about, you know, a promotion or, or a job opportunity. You can get really excited about sports. A lot of you New Englanders are all pumped and ready to go for Sunday. So, anyway, leave my Bronco bitterness at home. But, you know, we can get excited about sports. You know, we can get excited about TV shows or media or movies or entertainment and things like that. But, like, honestly ask yourself, when was the last time, like, you were just pumped out of your mind that, like, somebody got saved? When was, when was the last time that you were, like, so excited to just go to the house of the Lord and worship? Like, because I know, and this is convicting for me, right? Last year, when the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl, I responded in a, in a very boisterous way. It had been a couple decades. So I was pretty happy. But I never want to be more happy about those types of things than I am about the things of God. I don't want to get more excited about a football game than I am about coming into the house of God. I don't want to get more excited about what TV show I'm watching than I am about somebody who's lost that just encountered Jesus. I want to have my heart be more passionate about the things that God's heart is passionate about. It doesn't mean that I can't be passionate about lots of things, but my heart needs to be the most passionate about the things of God and the things of the kingdom. If it's not, then I need to restructure my priorities. And I feel like sometimes we don't rejoice when the lost are found. Sincerely. I think, you know, oh, that's great. Praise God, that's great. But like, it's not something, you know, when I say passion, I think this, this is something that drives me. What is my passion? Well, when I say that, that's something that, that drives my life. Music is a passion, right? That, that, that drives me. Worship is so big in my life. Like that, and it, it's literally, it's driven a course of my life to be a worship pastor and, and to be able to minister through music. Like that, that's a passion that's driven my life. I've used that passion and I've pointed it back to God. That's, that's what I want to do. That's in every category of my life, I want to point it back to God. And if I'm passionate about something that's not pointing back to God, then I need to take a step back and think about something like, well, how do I po- either how do I point it back to God, or if it cannot be pointed back to God, then maybe it's time for me to drop that. It's not a fun message, but our hearts need to align with God's And I believe, look, I mean, let's just be honest. Everything for the sake of one, that's not a fun message. (laughs) 
You know, I sh- I'd be preaching something more like, success today for your life. Like, that's great. That's awesome. That's a message. I'm, but <laughs> give everything for the sake of not you. Like, you know, that's, that's a tough message. But that's the message of the gospel. Build his kingdom. Don't build your own. And that's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to build his kingdom. And I want to see each and every one of us uh, fall so madly in love with God and the things of God and, and to rejoice in the things that God rejoices in uh, that we are compelled and driven to accomplish his purposes. We've got to pursue. All right, that's the, and, and we're moving forward here. This is going to be this is going to be something we are, are going to be focusing on. And really, just a time out. Time out, everyone. We're going to just break from the message for a second. This is, this is kind of like working in a new way of living. And, and that's kind of how it's going to be over the course of this year. I mean, obviously, it's nothing that's like earth-shattering or, you know, it's, it's, it's a principle seen in Scripture but I think the, the power of, of this year and the power of, of just moving forward is that we're making this our purpose. Uh, and each and every single week is going to be about reaching one person. You reaching one person. How has God used you this week to reach one person? And you're going to begin to see a cultural shift uh, in this group as we begin every single week, uh, every single day, we, we, our lives become about just just one reaching just that just one one more god and and as this continues throughout this year i believe that there's going to be some god is going to start doing some crazy things uh and i want us to begin preparing for it and and this is these two elements tonight are are how we begin prepping for it we pursue and we value we pursue and we value the one that's lost. And so we'll jump back in. All right, time in. Value the one that is lost. Uh, continuing on, Jesus kind of tells sort of, they call them the twin parables, right? They, they're very similar, but he, he continues on. And he says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner, even one sinner repents. I love that heaven freaks out over one person do you know when you came to christ heaven was like wow like they were going nuts they were going nuts up there you think about that like how stoked they were for you and think about it they cared more about you in that moment than they did the entire church that's what jesus said more joy over one person who turns to God and repents than over 99 righteous. At that moment, nobody's thinking about the church. Everybody's thinking about you and rejoicing over your life being saved. That's really cool. I don't know. That's, that's just really cool to me. 
Man, God loves us. Like, how crazy is that? God loves us. It's nuts. All right. A little background to this, this coin uh, shenanigan here. Uh, the coin mentioned would, uh, would have been equivalent to the wages for a full day's labor. It could have been a part of the woman's savings or maybe a dowry. A lot of people think that it was a part of an ornamental headpiece that uh, would be held with several other coins, obviously in this story, nine, um, on a silver chain worn around the head as the mark of a married woman. She paints a little different picture now, so she didn't just lose a coin. She like kind of lost a diamond in her engagement ring or in her wedding band. You know what I'm saying? Like this was... This was like the mark of a married woman. So like you ladies that are married, like if you have, I don't know, I don't, my wife doesn't have diamonds in her actual, oh yeah, she does. Never mind. Cool. But if she used to lose like a diamond in her wedding band, like we'd have some problems. And so imagine that now. Let that sink in. All right? Let that kind of picture sort of sit in your mind now. And you can kind of get a sense for the value that that coin has uh, to her. So I kind of pulled just three, three th- kind of principles out of this as well. See, seven-point sermon, really. Actually, with the both main points, you got like a nine-point sermon here. Glory to God. First one, value is determined by our hearts. Value is determined by our heart. So this is really cool as I was kind of studying a little bit, in 300 B.C., this coin, which I do believe is pronounced a drachma, could have gotten that wrong, but in 300 B.C., this coin was equivalent to the price of a sheep. So I was like, huh, that's kind of cool. Jesus just told a story about a sheep. And now he's telling a story about a coin that in 300 BC was the price of the sheep. But this was even cooler. At the time of Jesus, a couple hundred years right later, 300 BC, that coin was worth way less. And I'm like, man, the genius of Jesus. He gives you an example of a sheep. And everybody in that room's going, yeah, well, of course he's going to run after it. It's a sheep. Like... That's some, like, valuable property. But then he goes, well, okay, well, let me use an example. There's a coin. You guys know this coin. Back in the day, it was worth about as much as a sheep. It's not worth that much now. And I love that he points not to the monetary value of something. It's it's not the monetary price tag that gives something value. But he points to the fact that the value is determined by your heart. He says, look, I know this coin isn't worth as much as a sheep, but you all know how much it was worth to her. It was her wedding headpiece. You know how much value that coin had to her. And it's not just a a, a money, dollars, and cents thing. That you can have value for something in your heart. And when you have value for something in your heart, it can't be measured. 
There is no measure to the value that you have for something in your heart. It's priceless. I mean, you could think about it. I mean, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I thought of just when thinking about this concept, you ever see like a, a business owner? You know, I've, I know a couple of them and, um, you know, some of them that I've known, you, you know, they've got their, their first dollar that they've made like framed and it's up on the wall in, 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 their, in the store that they own. Or, um, and it's very sentimental. Uh, it's very valuable to that individual. How much is it worth? A dollar. Like you can't change the fact that it's, a, it's worth 100 pennies. 20 nickels, 10 dimes, 4 quarters. You guys are all checking, going, wait, is he right? 20 dimes, that's $2. It's worth a dollar. Monetary value, it's a dollar. You can't change that. But what that means to that individual is so much more. And I guess the point that I'm getting at here is that Jesus desires for us to view people as priceless. To not just look at a person for what they have to bring to the table, but in our hearts, value them as priceless. To not just say, well, you know, I know this person, I know what you know, they do, I know what they can't do, you know, I know what they have. It's not about what they have to bring to the table, it's about that they're a person. It's about the fact that they need Jesus. It's about the fact that God values them. And as we begin to have that value in our own hearts for them, just like a, maybe a family heirloom is priceless, or, or a diamond engagement ring is priceless, or, or that dollar hanging on a frame on the wall is priceless. Why? Because they mean something to those individuals. Can I tell you that God just wants people to mean something to you? He wants lost people to mean something to you. The church in America has stalled because it's lost its heart for the lost. In its prosperity, uh, in its comfortability, it's lost its, its heart for those who don't know Jesus. And if, if you could just make it your prayer, this is a prayer that I'm praying, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for the loss. I want to be bothered by the fact that there's lost people in this city. I want all of you to be bothered by the fact that there's lost people who don't know Jesus in this city that need hope, they're hurting. God wants you to be bothered because God's bothered by it. And we have such an important mission ahead of us, such an important assignment. Values determined by our heart. Value brings urgency. Verse 8 says, won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, search carefully until she finds it? 
the house that she would have lived in was, would have been pretty dark. It would have had minimal windows, if, if any at all. So she would have had to light a lamp in order to really see in the, in the home. Maybe that lamp would have caught the, you know, the glimmer of, of a coin on the floor. Sweeping, you know, it, was, it would have been, you know, an earthen, like clay, stone sort of uh, floor. And the sweeping, perhaps maybe she would have, you know, swept the coin and she would have heard it kind of skip across the, uh, the floor. I just kind of, vi- <laughs> you visualize the same thing as I do, just like a, just a woman going crazy. That's kind of what I picture here, like, <laughs> like going nuts. Because that's sort of what I picture here, and she's, she's filled with a sense of urgency. She needs to find this coin. Number one thing on her to-do list. Isn't that funny? When, when something is valuable to you, it becomes your priority. I mean, when you truly value something, it becomes your priority. I guarantee you she wasn't thinking about anything else except for finding that coin. We need to have that urgency for the lost in our lives. The lost need to be a priority. And, and I'm praying that as we give ample time to really look at, at who God desires to use you to reach, and you begin to get out of your own head, I guess, in a, in a sense, and really start thinking about other people uh, more and, and being intentional about that. I, you know, I'm, I'm praying that as we s- just really challenge ourselves in this, that, that there will become, uh, there, will, there will basically begin to develop a, a sense of, of urgency uh, for, for those that don't know Jesus. Last thing and closing it out tonight, value produces determination. Just like the shepherd, this woman was not going to let anything deter her from finding what was lost. And we understand that. I mean, when we lose something, we're determined to find it. Anybody lose their keys or their wallet or their phone or anything like that before? We've, right? And, and that moment, especially like when it's your wallet and you're like, <gasps> I have all my important information in there. Like, what happens? Not only is there urgency, but there's determination, man. You're, I mean, you're, you're driven. Don't talk to me about anything. Nobody loses their wallet and then just goes, yeah, I think I'll watch a movie or something. Maybe I'll just kick back, relax for a bit. I'll worry about it tomorrow. Yeah, I'll, I'll, call, I'll call my credit card people next week. I'll cancel all that stuff later. It's no big deal. No, I mean, we're, we're on it, man. We're searching for hours. You're putting on your like, slippers in the snow with shorts on, and you're just getting out to your truck first to check on. Oh, that's me. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, that's me. Like, that really is me. And I'm like, oh, I've got to find it. And I, I don't even think. And I, it's like 20 degrees outside, and I have shorts on. And, but I'm still searching under everywhere in my truck, and I'm freezing my butt off outside. But I'm determined to find my wallet. And I'll do whatever it takes. Cause, and honestly, it goes to show you, because of the urgency, 
finding my wallet is more important than being properly dressed in the middle of the winter when it's 20 degrees outside. But it gives you the sense of priority. My priority is finding what is lost. Nothing else is as important. So tonight I just want to challenge us, what would it look like if we were to value the lost, if we were to value those who are broken and hurting in our city? If every day we would search anywhere and everywhere for an opportunity to find just one. Determined to reach just one. Carrying a sense of urgency to make a difference in just one person. Our heart filled with just crazy value for people. And to pursue them. Push through the obstacles. To show care and compassion for them. If you are in to make this mission your life mission. To give everything for the sake of one. And, and you know, if you're not in tonight, God is going to continue to work on your heart. And I know that you'll come around. But I just want to see, just a show of hands, who's in? Who's in on this tonight? Awesome. Every hand. We're in. All right? So what that means, what does this mean for us? It means that we're going to be challenging our former way of living. It means that we're not going to live the same way that we've lived before. We hope that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more about 242, you can email Pastor Justin at jcorkum at manchesterassembly.org. You can also tweet us at 242NH. Again, that's T-W-O-42-N-H. Or on Facebook, you can look us up under 242 Young Adults. We look forward to your feedback, and we'll see you next time.